Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honour and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello everyone, I hope you're all well. Welcome back to the Medical Women podcast. This week, we have another episode that is a live episode from our recent MWF Spring Conference. And this week's guest is somebody who has previously been on the podcast and is a huge ally and advocate for really gender and racial equality in in the medical workforce, Professor Partha Carr OBE. Partha is a consultant and professor in diabetes. He has a leadership role um, as the lead for diabetes at NHS England. And he also does a lot of work on the MRES, which is the Medical Workforce Race Equality Standard. And that's what he spoke to us about at the conference. And what I found really helpful about this talk was learning about the MRES work but also the importance of data in advocacy. Everything we do is backed by evidence. And, you know, of course, we all know that as medical students and doctors, we practice evidence-based medicine. Everything we do is is governed by evidence. But what was, you know, what really stood out for me was how he was saying that you present the data and then people's responses to it that, oh, well, that's not quite how it is. And it's, well, yes, it is, because that's what the data shows. But also that if we keep going round and round, collecting data, collecting data, then we don't actually do anything. So yes, collecting data is a really important part of the whole process, but then we need to actually do something with that data. So use the data as evidence and then go and take some action. And I think those were my key learning points from, from his talk So I hope that you find this episode helpful. And as always, please continue to rate and review the podcast so that we know what you think of it, because otherwise it ends up being a one-way conversation. And I'm delighted that we've reached over 7,500 listens now on the podcast, which is amazing. So thank you so much. I'm so, so glad that you find it of value. Take care and enjoy the episode. Now, I didn't introduce myself to everybody. Um, I'm Professor Scarlett McNally. I'm President-Elect of the Medical Women's Federation. And I'm absolutely delighted to invite Professor Partha Carr to speak to us today. Um, He's a National Specialty Advisor for Diabetes, co-lead of Getting It Right First Time in Diabetes, lead for the Medical Workforce Rate Equality Standards with NHS England. He's a consultant in diabetes and endocrinology at Portsmouth hospital NHS trust um, he's got 47,000 followers in t- on Twitter including me um, very um, educational um, he's won multiple awards for diabetes um, a lot of it's around linking uh, with different um, different groups and across primary care networks championing language matters and um, technologies to be available for everybody um, and he's won awards um, health Care Services Journal recognised as one of the most influential individuals from the ethnic minority population in healthcare, particularly for his work around the race equality standard. And that's what we're going to hear um, from him now. Um, uh, I'm so looking forward to your talk. So um, uh, there'll be a little bit of time for 
questions at the end. Um, so uh, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Scarlett, and thank you to everybody for the invite. Um, so what I'll do, this is where we'll see how our technology works. And so hopefully the magic should happen. Oh, it does. Excellent. Good. So I'm going to start and go back one slide. So I've always liked to talk about the data and the question always with the data is that, you know, is it a politically correct thing? Is it a bit of walkery? Is it a bit of a sign of the times? Or is the data to actually support what we're talking about as we're going forwards? So with that in mind, um, as I always say, data has been around for a long time. I mean, I can show you that's the first time the RES report came out, the Workforce Race Equality Standards in 2015. And uh, it was not it was not into doctors. It was mostly about agenda for change and you know, nursing staff, pharmacists, physios, etc. And as you can see, there's more up to date versions of that have come through as time has progressed. Uh, what you basically have it's whenever you show data to people and it's not just to do with race or sex or anything like that, any of the protected characters it's about any of the specialties we do so in my world you know in diabetes whenever in a national role you show data which may not be good or good you always have four groups of people you know some groups of people are already convinced there's a problem some people need a bit more data some people are too tired uh, of uh, life in general and feel it's one more added things to their mix and there's a group who doesn't it doesn't believe there's a problem. And um, you know, if you take the issue of sexism, and I'm sure all women will have met these four groups of people. Um, you know, people who are ready to be an ally, people who will tell you for a bit more data, and you roll your eyes about asking for more data. Uh, people who are just like, okay, if everybody's doing it, maybe it's a good thing to do. And finally, people who generally don't believe it's a problem. And that's not related, as I said, just to issue of sex, race, everything. So going forwards, one of the things that we look for is to say, all right, well, what is, what have we got? So here is the data set. So to start to begin with, we look at the percentage of people going up of people from a minority ethnic background. So that's fine. That's a sort of a workforce, which is a reflection of society, people coming from different countries and, you know, workforce gaps, etc. And what you do have in the sort of AFC or the agenda for change side of things is, um, Funnily enough, uh, as you go higher in your banding, you don't really get to a higher post depending on the color of your skin. And that's the data, whether you like it or not. People will always give reasons for it, but that's the data as it says. You can see the bottleneck there at band five. Then after that, it really whittles down. It suddenly goes on a sliding scale. Something ain't quite right. And there's a pattern. You know, you talk about anything, bullying, progression of career, it's the same. There's a, there's a reflection, there is a gap. And, and, and I think the thing to also mention there is that it's not like it's changed. People have been talking about it for ages. It's not new. We all know about it. We all talk about it. It's just a question of which group we fit into when we are talking about it. And that's where we are with the data. So as things go, um, uh, some of you know, I uh, write a blog and um, I do my diabetes role. And in my diabetes role, sometimes on a Friday night, depending on the mood I'm in, I write a BMJ blog. And I wrote one, uh, which was to most to do with race. And it was picked up in one of the special editions being talked about. And uh, obviously, uh, that sort of spawned a bit more, a few more sort of articles, etc., uh, which in itself was raising the awareness, raising the issues, some of the stuff that I you know, personally have faced, gone through, etc. What happened as a consequence of that, I mean, um, we had at that time 
uh, this report which came out in July 2021, which was a medical workforce race data. And it was the first time it had come out. And as a consequence of me writing the BMJ report and really annoying a lot of people, I was then asked, well, if you, if you want to talk so much about it, why didn't you step in and do something about it? And uh, that's always been my own philosophy in life. And I tell everybody else, don't show me the data, do something about it. So after lots of discussion at the time with the then chief people's officer who was prayer on ISR, I joined and I and the, the task was simple. So try and get all stakeholders together and see what interventions actually, because there's no point in just producing data. Let's get people together and see what would be the four or five areas we could target to make things better. Now, I think the purpose of data to me when you look at anything, let's say, for example, diabetes amputations, it sits around, you know, you show there's a problem, you consolidate the problem still exists, and then, you know, you progress towards actually showing progress. And the problem in the race uh, side, or even the sexism side, anything is then we seem to be stuck at group two and three. We were still talking about, well, let's do a bit more data. Is it really there? And what else can we do? While at this point of time in present world, we should be looking at data just to track progress. We should all accept it's a problem. We should move towards improving it. So when the MRES res data all came out, I always say to people, you know, have you heard of it? Have you read it? Uh, you know, what has been your reaction? Did it surprise you when you heard about it? And I think you'll all find that people are different groups as they go along. But let me tell you what it does show. It shows that your GMC referrals, you're getting into senior leadership posts, your consultant posts, your training progression, being bullied and harassed, or feeling valued is directly linked to your background ethnicity. And uh, recently, there's been a deluge of all of these coming through. You must have heard about the tribunal uh, of Michelle Cox, uh, where NHS England had been found to be uh, guilty of racism. We have had uh, a couple of other cases, including midwives, whereby people have been sued. You had the recent case of the GMC, um, and uh, it, it sort of goes round and round in circles, so to speak. So um, the question is, now that I know it, what now? Do you need some more data? Do you appreciate there's a problem? What can you do about it? And is it all about the system? Uh, and I think that's a big question as to what we can do about that. So to going forwards, I think we looked at the five initial steps. We've written about it, we've talked about it, and that's not to say those are the only five steps, but it certainly are, are five areas which you want to target. So what are they? GMC referrals. I think the GMC referrals, there is a problem. I mean, you've recently, there's been the case of Dr. Valentine Adoe, overturned, Manjula Aurora, overturned, and today there's a case of a gentleman who has been sending pornographic images, etc., but who has been kept on because it would be bad for society if he lost his job. There is a discrepancy which is going on and that needs to be corrected, whether we like it or not. Representation is an issue, <clears throat> but I don't hang my hat too much on that. I think it's good to have representation, but I also believe in a very term that I use, skinship isn't always kinship. So it doesn't matter. I mean, just the color of your skin doesn't make you an ally. I think it's about having the ethos that you would like to help. And I think leadership position representation is good uh, to do, but I don't think it should be subject to quotas or anything like that in my book. Colleges and societies, uh, I think that need to represent the, uh, their background population better. That's what we're going to track. SAS doctors and LE doctors will come into that mix in due course. We've deliberately kept it separate because it's important to make that distinction. And you'll hear later from Rob Fleming uh, when we do our panel together. But we have a big problem in this country. And um, finally, international medical graduates. I'm going to take a 
pause at this point and just point out something recently which has happened. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize about what we call rhetoric and what is not quite right, if that makes sense. There's been a recent rhetoric that uh, local trainees are not getting jobs because of international medical graduates. Uh, I can tell you that there is not a single data set which supports that. There has been over the last five years, uh, you know, 40% rise in SAS and LE, LE, uh, locally employed doctors, 60 to 65% of them come from international medical graduates. A bar general practice, there's not a single specialty in which international medical graduates have got more jobs. So I think the rhetoric isn't that uh, to be followed. If anything, there's a recent GMC data publication which shows that uh, in your career, in, uh, you know, getting a job, getting better results in ARCP, they're linked to the color of your skin. And it's not deprivation either, because if you factor in deprivation, then you'll find that the richest black candidate trainee uh, has uh, worse outcomes than the uh, the the white the white candidate as well, and you know it, it's not down to just deprivation. That's data, which is in the public domain. So, my my request to people who do motion side like this, uh, asking that international medical graduates should take a second line, is that if you want to do a better motion, better motion should be our own graduates should be getting. Um, how shall I put it, should be getting their specialty posts and their training irrespective of the color of their skin. And in 2023, the NHS can't do it. We have got a fundamental problem. So, so we built a collective and uh, it's taken us some time to build a collective as all you will know. You can see the organizations there that we're not necessarily always the best of friends, but we have got there. And I think this is quite important that we have a collective and we have one vision as to what we want to do. So this has come out uh, just recently uh, after a lot of work. And if it's online, you can have a look. There are five specific areas and we are going to ask every organization, you know, referral to, we, could, we can spend time talking about the GMC being unfair, but let's not forget that the referrals to the GMC come from the NHS. Uh, we can spend talk, time talking about ooh, specialty posts, but the distinction of passing your ARCP on the background of the color of your skin comes from Health Education England. Uh, we can talk a lot about a lot of stuff, but look through all the tribunals and you will see where we are uh, and what we need to do better. So, as I said, the five steps we have, just sorry, I'll just skip that. So we have these next steps, have a look. They're very simple to look at. Um, of all of them, I'm just gonna spend a little bit of time on the SAS doctors because to me, they're an incredibly neglected group. I think we forget that there is such a such a huge workforce we have uh, and that needs to be much better looked after as far as their contract negotiations go, what they're eligible for, recognition in the system, etc. So that's something we want to focus on and we believe that if we could get these five things looked at, we might just be able to change the dial on the MRES. And as I said, if you look at the agenda for change data I showed you, uh, the dial hasn't shifted in seven years. So it's, you have to do something to change it. And it's not just about saying that we must do better. And I think people also need to be less shocked at every single time the data comes out because there's a natural reaction for people to say, it doesn't happen with me or it doesn't happen around me. Well, that's fantastic, but it's happening around the NHS and the data will bear that out too. So what are the next stages would be this disaggregation of data. I talk about this because uh, I think lumping everybody together as BME doesn't help. 
there is a big distinction between what uh, people from the black community are getting, and people from the South Asian community are getting, uh, women are getting, and they all do intersect with each other. It's important to recognize that. Uh, I personally believe in accountability, working with the CQC and everything. I, I don't understand why a trust should get a good rating or an outstanding rating if their race equality data suggests that it's only good for people who are white. That's not an anti-white agenda. Um, that's just basically saying, I just want things to be fair for everybody, respect to the color of their skin and which, which religion they're from and all that. So here are some data, as you can see, even people come around and say, oh, we're getting better. And I think it's important we split the data and see or show that it's not, this is also part of the, what I call the disaggregation of data. People say, oh, board representations are going up. It's going up for non-exec directors, not for exec directors. And I think that's a fundamental difference that, between that as well. So I think it's important we know the data, we talk about it openly. And I think the first part of the journey is to recognize that we are getting things wrong. As I said in my recent BMJ blog, we should come out and say to our trainees that we haven't got it right for people who come from the black community. We haven't got it right. It's as straightforward as that. And if we're not, you know, and I'll give you one example of that is to say that, you know, in the diabetes world, um, one of the issues we had three years ago was access to technology based on the color of your skin. The black children were getting half the chance of uh, getting a technology compared to a white child. And when that was first highlighted in 2021, 2021, uh, a lot of pediatricians came to me and said, we just feel like, like you're calling us racists. I remember saying that to them, I said, no, I'm not, but I've shown you the data. Do you think the data is right? They said, no, it's not right. It's okay. The data is not right. And now you haven't tried everything that is in the, your system to change the data. And you've not bothered to do anything then what's the term that I should use that you knew something was wrong and you didn't do anything about it? And I'm happy to call you that term. And do you know what? There's a good ending to the story because in 2023, we just published the data and that gap is the tightest it's been now, doubling in the black community. And it's fantastic to see that. You know, these are colleagues across the NHS who have done that, who've taken it as a personal quest to do it. And I suspect that's what I ask everybody to do is the data is data, you know, it's, you know, somewhere we're getting it wrong. So I think we should turn around and say that, you know, we got it wrong and we try and make it better and try and change the data as the way we do it. And here is a problem. And then, and I deliberately use the slide because people always say, what about other characteristics? And this is the whataboutery, which I don't understand because this is not a competition. If you just look at data, racism continues to be a problem, fine. That doesn't, if, if somebody's talking about racism, that doesn't demean by any means the importance of the fight against sexism or homophobia or anything. It just means that you've got a particular arena. So if you punch everything together and say, oh, I'm just gonna get equality and diversity better, you improve nothing. When everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. That's how it works. So you need to have very clear, very, very clear strands of action plans as to what you like to do and it's not the same, you know, tackling racism is not the same as sexism. Putting them two together is doing a disservice to both. And I think that's important to recognize as we sort of go forwards. So I'm not going to spend time on this, but I've, there's an outline of a plan that we have put down as to what we'd like to happen going forwards. Uh, but I always say is that when you're, when you're looking at challenging anything, which is to do with social justice of any nature, uh, you'll always have the four groups of people. And they will include people who do not believe that racism is a problem. They or they genuinely believe that if you're white, you come from a superior background. 
they are few, but they are there. And that's okay. And your strategy to dealing with them will be different to somebody who needs a bit more data for you to, for them to be an ally. Uh, but I always say uh, these two things is that you will fail uh, when you're trying this. Uh, it would be silly if you didn't believe you would fail. If racism or sexism was so easy to tackle, all the people before us who have tried, it's not due to their lack of trying. It's just difficult style to shift when you're fighting against centuries of prejudice. That's fine. That's fine. That's that's how it is. People will try and gaslight. People will say that you know, uh, you know, you know, you got a what is the most common thing that's used? Somebody said to me, you seem to have a chip on the shoulder. And I always say that, well, I'm an established consultant with a background uh, in diabetes. I have achieved far more in my career than my wildest dreams or my parents would have asked me to do. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I'm just trying to use the privilege and the position I have to try and improve things as best as possible. I'll finish with this uh, because I think it's important that uh, we don't sort of create some sort of a hero narrative that somebody's and I, and I deliberately use this because I went to a meeting last month and one of the delegates said to me, it's brilliant that the plan is out. And I said, why is that? So we have been waiting for this. And I remember going like, you've been waiting for me to turn up and tell you how to deal with racism. That's ridiculous. I just put some ideas on a pretty piece of document and it's great for me and my CV. I'll make no two bones about it. But you haven't changed the dial. It would just join the other hundreds of pieces of paper uh, which are there in the NHS library somewhere. So I like this quote and I would like to say that, you know, we're all somewhat courageous and all considerably cowardly. We're all imperfect. So I think it's important to recognize that, you know, try in your own space to make the changes you can. And not everything needs to be a massive system change, but we all do a little bit. And the five areas I've pinpointed to look at I think we can change the dial on this one because I fundamentally believe that in the main, uh, in the main, I think this country is still full of, and the NHS is still full of people who want to do the right thing. And if you want to do the right thing, and you put your mind to it, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do the right thing. So I'll uh, wrap it up there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Partha. That was amazing. And I've lots of take him um, there about how important data is and also separating um, the different uh, aspects, sexism and racism requiring different um, actions. I hand over to Danau. Um So Davina, would you introduce yourself um, and then uh, lead on the questions? Thank you. Thank you, Scarlett. And thank you, Partha, for an excellent talk. So um, my name is Davina and I'm the Medical Women's Federation Junior Doctor Representative. Um, there's quite a few questions actually in the chat. Um, there's one by Jotty and she's put down, great talk, thank you Prof, um, for walking the talk and raising awareness with data. The four groups of people is so true. I think it would be good to know with the increased awareness when an issue is spotted, who should one raise an issue with either in primary care or secondary care or with trainees? That's a very good question because I think that's exactly the structures we need because there's uh, that's something that's a conversation that we're having with Navina as we go forward as Health Education England and NHS England fuses together. Because I think the cases that I get, so I get by the dozens, right? People saying, can you help me? And what I always say to people is that, what's your next step of line? Where do you go? So you'd like to go to your supervisor, and all that sort of stuff. The problem is, the reality is that not all supervisors help. 
and that's the reality of life. Some of the cases we have had to step in has been to sort of ask why they haven't helped. And it could be because it's their friend involved, it's their colleague involved. And I, my personal view is that there's a lot to learn for the NHS from other industry. So I've talked to Boeing, we've talked to multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. If the process doesn't work, you've got escalation chains, which go straight to the top, which work as a deterrent. The NHS isn't mature enough to do that yet. It hinges itself on, oh, there's going to be FDSUs and that'll be fine. It's not fine. I can tell you case after it's not fine. And I don't think the system works. And I don't think a system which is based on uh, hierarchy, you know, as a trainee, you're dependent on getting your things signed off. You're dependent on so many factors. I do not think that system can work. So I personally believe if the chain doesn't work, there should be escalation policies into a central team who should be able to help. That's my honest opinion after doing this job for 18 months, because every single case I've stepped into has needed like a very big brother approach, which isn't the right approach either. But at the same time, it works as a deterrent for many people. Thank you. Um, there's a question by Lucy Henshaw in the chat, and she's written, I've been supporting a young GP whose story hit me in the gut on the first hearing it. She described herself to me quite openly as struggling to get back into work, not only because I'm part-time female GP, but now disabled by long COVID, but I'm also brown, and that makes it all very much harder. What can each of us actually do to really help change that? I think this is where... I talk about two concepts. One is the concept of allyship and the other is the concept of privilege, right? Now, allyship is very much spoken about, but not really that much exercised, if I'm very honest. There's a lot of people who will come to you and talk to you about how amazingly they're committed to equality for women. But when the crunch comes, there's not many people who can be seen around. Uh, and the privilege I talk about is the privilege us consultants have. I've been a consultant for 15 years. We have got a lot of privilege, a lot of power. I don't think we use it, you know, uh, examples like that. I would fully expect a, a senior person to have the conversation with the staff, right? I'll give you one side example, not to the extent, obviously, this uh, poor trainee. Uh, you, you see sometimes in social media, you know, I have my wedding and my annual leave's been cancelled. That just will not happen. It just does not happen, cannot happen in my department. Something like that happened, you pick up the phone and say, it's happening, they're going on a life event. That's the end of that discussion. Uh, I think privilege comes with power. If you can't, if you can't use it, then you're wasting your privilege. And I genuinely believe that that's how you breach the system. Um, and I would strongly encourage a lot of senior people to do so. Thank you. Um, two questions in the chat. So Helen and McCowan, what is the role of the Guardian of Safe Working in reporting racism, please? Um, and then I'll go into the one last one before we go on to the panel. Well, huge. I mean, huge. I mean, I think the point I always say, if you look at the data, right, it's the biggest thing that people continue to complain about is racism being faced at work, right? And I think people always mix up racism to overt racism, right? It's not like people are coming to your face as, let's say, as an Asian person and calling you the P word. That's not what they're doing, right? It's the little bit, it's the little subtle, not helping not there judging, passing opinions, which is grinding down on a regular basis. And I think that's the recognition that needs to happen. So I think the guardian's role is very, very important. If See, if somebody is raising an allegation, you've got to take it at face value. 
until proven otherwise. Now, I absolutely get the argument that sometimes people play the race card and this and that, etc. But it's much lower in number than you would think. And if you if you basically have that role, I think it's important to take that seriously and not get wrapped in the whole wokeism debate. It's not woke to challenge racism. So I think I think they've got a big role uh, in the sense that if it's raised with them, it needs to be taken with all the seriousness that it deserves. Thank you. And the last question, as an Kate Aldersey has written, as an SAS advocate for my trust, I see MRES as and raising these issues are part of my role. Oh, there wasn't even a question, but yeah, no, Kate Aldersey, that's really great. Do you have anything to add to that? I thought there was a question. No, I mean, we, we worked hard to get SAS into the five priorities, you know, uh, and I think it's important that these are not the only priorities, right? Locally employed doctors are a big priority for us, has to be. There's a practically a ghost workforce right now in the NHS. Uh, but SAS doctors, I mean, just look at the numbers, right? Uh, just to show how much we need to do work, SAS and LE doctors are not separated on the GMC roster yet. That in itself tells you that we don't taking the group seriously enough. If consultants have got a specialist, a separate line, trainees have got a separate line, why don't SAS doctors have a separate line? They're senior colleagues, right? That's where it starts. Uh, so yes, uh, I'm delighted that it's there and hopefully it will spur people to take it very seriously. Thank you so much for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you automatically get our episodes. The aim of this podcast is to support and empower as many medical women in their careers as we possibly can. So please share this episode with at least one other medical woman. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we would love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bayankaram and Ms. Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Dr. Kethki Bayankaram. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>